Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Brandon. And welcome to Living Electric. We're both content creators and electric vehicle enthusiasts. And through this podcast, we hope to share our experience with owning electric vehicles and help you join the electric life. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode eight of Living Electric. We have a special Clevelander, a Cleveland episode actually today. Um, we want to welcome the CEO and founder of Land. This is Scott Clisimo. Thank you, Scott, for joining Alex and I today. Well, thank you for having me here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to have you here, Scott. Just for the listeners who aren't aware, Land is developing a lineup of electric bikes that can function as an electric bicycle and an electric motorcycle all in one with hot swappable batteries. They're building them all out of their warehouse in Cleveland. Brandon and I actually got a chance to check out the bikes a few weeks ago, and those videos are up on Brandon's channel. So, Scott, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and Land as the company? Um, so I'm just going to start with a brief intro. So my name is Scott Colosimo. Uh, I have been in the automotive business um, since well before I went to college. Um, it's pretty much been my obsession since I've been a, a child. Um, motorcycles, cars, BMX bikes, snowboarding, um, anything that propels your body quickly in any direction um, I love. It's only natural that I'm um, in motorcycles for the last, uh, well, really since 2009, you know, when I graduated, there was no, um, real path for electric, even though we were doing all these cool electric concepts in college. When I got into the real world, I spent, um, you know, a, a solid 12 years, heavy, heavy on the gas platforms, um, got a little bit into hybrid, uh, development. I worked for Johnson controls, which is a big battery manufacturer, um, gotten to some um, lithium ion batteries. And ultimately that was a direction I wanted to push a lot earlier, uh, than I did, but, um, you know, being an entrepreneur, you have to understand when the market's right to make the move. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically intro to land. Um, so our company's official name is actually land energy and, um, the brand is just land. We actually had to add a descriptor because, um, our SEO guys were like, dude, like it is impossible. We are never going to be able to direct any traffic. <laughs> yeah. to, we're never going yeah, to. I, I didn't direct. think about that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so everything that we're doing right now is actually under Land Moto. So that's kind of the descriptor. So if you Google search Land Moto, uh, that's what everything comes up. And we're really leading with the uh, transportation, and um, we found that the distributed energy or what we're doing with our mobile battery swap is so new to so many people, it's hard to explain. Um, so when we lead with distributed energy, uh, which is really our main, our overarching goal, it's a very hard concept for people to understand. But when we talk about bikes and batteries, people, they get it right away, <laughs> right? Um, but, but that's okay because we're in a frontier market right now and um, we have to understand where the consumer's at and, and we get that. Uh, so the history of land is um, it's really the history of kind of my team and myself. Um, we're only, uh, we were founded in 2020 as an LLC. 2021 is when we actually launched the corporation and started seeking some venture capital. Um, so the, the company's had a fairly short history, but um, what happened, this kind of transition from Cleveland Cycle Works, which we were making gas bikes under to land, was actually pretty quick. Um, it took me about 18 months to, um, really decide that 
I had no more interest in manufacturing gas vehicles. And it strictly from a uh, entrepreneur or a, a manufacturing standpoint, we went from 200 plus moving parts in the motor to basically a, a rotating stator and some bearings. Wow. Um, and once you reduce that much complexity and you take away all the fuel injection, you take away, you know, any carburation, if we had a few bikes that were still carbureted, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you got your injectors, you got your, your, you know, your EFI system. And then there are all these games we were having to play with Euro four, Euro five, you know, trying to get that start cycle so lean the, the motors didn't want to turn over. It was, it was a complete nightmare. So once we fully got into electric and we exploited it for everything it was worth, we said, okay, well, um, every time we had to go back and work on a gas program, my whole team was like, I, we, they didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> um, so basically, um, you know, land officially started in 2020. We really started, I started working on electric bikes, just custom building stuff at home in 2016. Um, but then, you know, the switch was pretty quick, like 2019 to 2020, I just said, all right, I'm, I'm all in. Um, so that was, you know, that is a pretty quick transition, but I think like anything else, once you, once you get it, you get it. Um, and for me, it was more of a business, um, opportunity being a small manufacturer and being able to reduce our BOM or I'm sorry, our bill of material to about a third of what it was for gas. That is very enticing. Mm. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. we just did a video where, um, my designers and engineers laid all the pieces parts out for the bike and it fit on a four by eight table. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> insane. Yeah. That's uh, unbelievable. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I, I was just going to say when it came to like the history of land, when did that like thought, uh, light bulb pop in your head? Like this is land. Um, you know, like what were some of like your beginning thoughts of the, the company? So I'm a designer and one of my partners is a designer. And we come from a, a heavy, heavy um, consumer focused, you know, if the product isn't, I, I will say a lot of people think of design as just styling. In the automotive world, design has been just styling for a very long time. Um, I mean, we've been stretching sheet metal over chassis and stamping chassis the same way for 60 years now. Um, mm -hmm. And even longer with a uh, you know, body on frame. So, um, a lot of people think of design as just styling, but we think of design as usability. Uh, we think of design as sustainability. We think of design as um, cradle to cradle. It's mm -hmm. systems, right? It's global distribution. So when you fall down the rabbit hole and you have a design team like we have, um, it, it, we, we go pretty, pretty damn deep. So, we were going to launch, actually, we originally did launch the district, our first electric bike as the Falcon under Cleveland Cycle Works. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a weird, it's, it's hard to explain how little interest I have in gas anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's, we can relate. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Well, I mean, I still, I love, a, uh, I love the sound of a V8, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mercedes makes an amazing 6.3 liter twin turbo V8. Sounds amazing. Um, I love muscle cars. I also love forced induction four cylinders. Uh, love a good rotary, you know, a good Wankel motor. Um, <laughs> I, I still love, as a hobby, gas. Um, you know, motorcycle-wise, I love a big single, right? I have a 1952 uh, BSA 600 single. 
So I, I still love internal combustion um, from a hobbyist standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but from a manufacturing standpoint or from a, um, a going concern that is a company, I, I just don't feel good about doing that. Um, so so the, the history of land, or, or let's say the, the naming, came pretty, I'd say pretty quick. Um, because this was uh, not a continuation, but a kind of turning a new leaf, and it's ironic because like Cleveland Psychoworks, we named it Cleveland Psychoworks. We tried getting it going, all the manufacturing in Cleveland, and we ended up manufacturing everything in China, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is never a way we wanted to go. Um, but 2008, 2009, you know, with the recession, we couldn't get anything moving here. There was no interest. Uh, fast forward to 2020, and the amount of interest from U.S. manufacturers to partner with us was massive. And um, land is a, a tip of the hat to the land, which uh, a lot of sports fans call Cleveland the land. That's right. Um, <laughs> yep. And it, it, it has many deep meanings. It's one of those things like um, Zach and I have been through corporate branding exercises where you spend <laughs> a year doing logos and branding and you, you talk deep, deep, deep. Um, and, and that takes a year in a corporation. Well, having only three people to do this branding exercise, we took, we squeezed a year of work into like um, three weeks of like all nighters. <laughs> wow. That's uh, and, um, and yeah, so land represents, I would say first and foremost, um, the vehicles ride on land, right? And our logo is like a little triangle, um, represents a mountain pinnacle also represents kind of the Illuminati, right? Um, new, <laughs> new world order. Well, and it's, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of saying this is the new world order, right? This is, this is the way things are going to be. And, and we're building this company in our, uh, the way we want to see it. Mm. Um, and land itself, uh, you know, has a lot of kind of deep meaning, um, especially for us. You know, most people have no idea that uh, outside of Cleveland that people call it the land. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it was really fitting, right? It's got all these kind of layered meanings. And we tried a lot of other names and we just kept coming back to land. Mm -hmm. um, and then the naming of the bikes is pretty logical. Um, we have a whole naming system that we're moving forward with. And, um, you know, we didn't want to go like the BMW route where it's a three, five, you know, seven. Now they have, they have a one all the way to, you know, eight now. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, vehicles, two-wheel mobility is... They're like little creatures, right? They're, they all have a little character. In mm -hmm. um, the district is, it's kind of what it does, right? It, uh, the name describes very clearly what it's for. It's not, um, you know, the Roadhog or it's not the, it, the name, it's very specific, right? It's an in-town bike. It's for short commutes and um, it does it with a lot of speed and power. So, um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of kind of underlying meaning behind land. I, I don't know if that's exactly what you were you're thinking as kind of how we came up with the name. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, when we recorded a few weeks ago, that was actually something I didn't get a chance to ask you about because um, I when I when I was speaking with uh, Evan, who is the uh, senior designer or the lead designer with Land, um, about the the Falcon because I've been keeping an eye on you guys for pretty much since the beginning of Land. Um, I learned more about the the history there, but I didn't get a chance to ask you guys that. So it's good to know that information. Yeah. It's one of those things where if no one knows it, we're okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> we just, you know, we, we know all the meaning, right? Um, yeah. so we're, we're yeah. pretty happy with that. And Zach came up with the logo. I think that logo he sketched up 
within an hour. And then we went full circle but, because we, we did 5,000 other things trying to do something better. <laughs> um, and then we, we came back and I will say that, um, like I, I know you can't see it, uh, on the podcast, you guys can see it there, but like, I've become really into minimalism, <laughs> like really, really into like trying to minimalize everything. So like the logo is ultra minimalist. Um, mm -hmm. even land itself is super minimalist. Um, the bikes we're producing are really kind of a less is more sort of approach. Mm -hmm. Um, the technology doesn't smack you in the face. It's there to improve the, the riding. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not there to distract you. We don't have like a full, um, you know, OLED or, you know, TFT bright dis display blinding you. Like everything's really about connecting with the road, producing a really solid piece of hardware, right? Really focusing on getting that right. Mm -hmm. We can always update the software once it's out. Um, yeah. you don't get a redo on the hardware and yeah. that's where we've benchmarked everything that exists. I mean, we, we've benchmarked almost 70 electric bikes, which no one believes us that there's that many, but um, we're lucky enough to have access to a lot of vehicles out there. And where all the tech companies that are getting into uh, electric vehicles are failing, a lot of them are failing, is they're not taking the product serious enough. Um, they think the tech's going to solve everything. And... Um, I don't want to name the name of the brand, but we got on a, it's the, the biggest funded bike company that there's ever been. Um, and the product is atrocious, right? Mm. They're putting 500 Watts through a internal uh, geared hub motor. Or, I'm sorry, a hub. Um, instead of having a derailleur and having the outside chain, it's clean, right? It's nice. It's big hub and all the gears are inside the hub, but the hub can't handle that much power. So hmm. you get at the bike and it shouts at you and it, the lights blink and there's all these cool things that happen. And we were absolutely enthralled with it, right? We're like, holy shit, the tech package on this is amazing. Mm -hmm. But then nobody wanted to ride it. I mean, I think I took it for maybe a five minute spin and I'm like, I'm done. Um, hmm. And everyone else had the same issues. It's like it, it, the wow sells it, but then the user experience is so poor. Um, and it's all just sourced components, right? Everything is mm -hmm. sourced on it. So it's like, you know, they built a frame in Taiwan, sourced a motor from, from China, sourced some gears from, from China, had someone overseas build it, maybe didn't even QC it, and then it got shipped here. And the tech is very wow, um, but the user experience is pretty poor. And I think what we're seeing right now is the EV market is very much a frontier market. Um, so if you remember, we came to the ice cream social you guys had a while back at, um, uh, at Van Aken. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell in love with uh, um, the Mach-E. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to look at one and to seriously buy one. <laughs> and the experience, the whole experience behind buying it, going to the Ford dealership, the absolute lack of knowledge and the sort of um, kind of hillbilly making fun of it that happened there was kind of like, um, you know, like buy a real car. Right. And I was just, the whole experience was just so bizarre to me. Wow. It ultimately turned me off. I didn't buy one. Cause I'm like, I can't, um, I can't imagine having to come here to have this thing serviced. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, Jeez. so what we're seeing right now is, um, it's bizarre because we're, we're seeing cars, electric cars that are car 2.0. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which the established manufacturers are producing. 
Then we have companies like um, Tesla that are throwing that away and saying, hey, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to Tesla is actually a good example of where they focus on the tech and the hardware and it works pretty well together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think you were saying like Chevy, your app didn't work for like two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And it's super slow. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a that's a perfect example of um, one car company sees themselves as a car company making a car mm -hmm. and the other company sees them as an integrated uh, hardware and software company. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Clearly. Um, yeah. And, and there's going to be a huge dust up here because we're seeing even more um, kind of front runners come. And, and I know you guys don't have access to it, but um, you know, before COVID hit, I was back and forth to China every couple months. And the plethora and the speed of, that the Chinese were releasing really good electric, small city electric cars is, mm -hmm. is amazing. Yeah. Um, and most of that hasn't even hit Europe or the U.S. yet. Um, and I think once it does, um, it's going to it's going to change things quite a bit. I actually sure. just read an article. Um, we, we don't have to put this into the podcast, but talking about like Chinese made electric vehicles, um, the, the government is now mandating there's over 300 electric vehicle companies that are Chinese and the, the government is mandating that they have to bring them together. Like they're they're forcing them to acquire they, one another. They gotta consolidate somehow because yes. there's too many of them. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's crazy the trajectory of the Chinese. Um, Zach and I were teaching transportation design um, in college for for a few years, and the students would always ask me, "Hey, where where should I go as a company?" And every student I told to go to China. You know, I'm like, it's gonna be the craziest experience you're ever gonna have in your life, but. Um, you know, where we have a clear established car culture here, mm -hmm. um, that is China does have that, but they don't have the history. Like um, you can't get an E46 BMW there. You can't get it uh, anything older than like an E90, like a um, like a mid 2000s. They don't, just don't exist in China, hmm. um, and you can't import them either. So, like their car their gas car culture is a very recent sort of car culture right like you will see some older um like late 90s uh mercedes that the factory owners would, would have but they're they're sitting in a corner rusting right like there's just not this car culture history and a lot of people laugh at that but what i see is there's a lot of newness happening right when when you aren't always going back to the the what the car was right like Ford is very much a company that always goes back to, well, we, we, we invented the assembly line. We, we produce cars by the, you know, everything's made to go on an assembly line. Um, you know, Tesla was like, well, you know, screw having a million square foot body shop, progressive dyes, stamping sheet metal or aluminum, and then welding them together. Like, let's just cast it as one piece. And that's the same sort of ingenuity that, that I'm seeing from a manufacturing standpoint out of, out of China. Mm. There's no kind of hard, fast rules of what cars have to look like, um, you know, how they have to perform um, or how they, how they have to be built, right? And if you're doing a low-speed EV that's can live in the city and never go over 35, imagine the design freedom you have. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't mean to digress into that, but... No, you're good. What, what, I, what I'm saying, though, is um, what's most... In, well... Uh, I think what's most interesting to me as a designer is I've never had an opportunity to do something this groundbreaking in my career. 
Mm. Um, because if you're just rehashing new designs on hybrid or gas vehicles, it's like you've got this massive motor, right? And then if it's all-wheel drive, you've got a big drive shaft. So that's a packaging constraint. Uh, you always have to package. And I, I always think of a car like before I, I would sketch a car, it would be wheels, motor, massive, right? Where are going to place it? Uh, more, more and more, they were uh, well over the front wheels. So you have these massive front overhangs and then all wheel drive, which more cars are becoming all wheel drive. Uh, then you have a, a drive shaft and you have half shafts for the front. Then you have a big, huge axle in the rear, sometimes independent, sometimes still live. And then all that suspension. And once you've packaged all that, there's not a lot of design freedom. Like <laughs> yeah. there's not much you can do. Um, yeah. So what's interesting now is I think we're going to really start seeing um, just some different different form factors coming out and just some different packaging, which is which is exciting. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I I want to get back to the bike because I think that's probably what most people are <laughs> are interested in. Do you want to give us kind of a a walkthrough of the like kind of tech behind the bike and like what it's like from a user perspective, that sort of thing? Sure. So. Um, I guess we're going to go over uh, what we're working on right now. So yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, our first vehicle is the district, uh, and the district is again focused very much on the city. Uh, the technology is is very similar to what almost all other uh, EV manufacturers are using right now. Um, it's a DC battery. Uh, we went with twenty one seven hundreds which are a slightly larger cell, which means we have less um, wire bonding and uh, less wires and just mm. less complexity. Um, the battery packs themselves, the ones we're releasing right now are, uh, they have stainless steel cases, but we have a uh, platform which we call Core and Core Plus, which are a 1.8 kilowatt hour battery and a five kilowatt hour battery. Okay. Uh, our vehicles right now, uh, we're just releasing the core, and you can ride them with either one or two packs. They're hot swappable. Uh, we do have an onboard charger, and our focus is a little bit different, right? I didn't want to do motorcycle 2.0, um, mm -hmm. which is like try to take a gas bike and make it electric. Uh, we wanted to look at what makes it more usable. Um, we're not the first to do hot swap. Uh, I saw it pretty heavily when I was in Taiwan, uh, and then we started seeing it in China and it was hot swap on a small, slow level, right? They started with lead acid, just take them into your house and charge them. And then mm -hmm. it started with the slow, like um, granny scooters in China. And then Gogoro stepped in in, in Taiwan and kind of blew that whole battery swap up. Um, mm. And it, it's funny because a lot of enthusiasts ask us, okay, well, are you doing level two, level three charging? And it's like, no. It's like, I'm not sitting in a parking lot with my motorcycle for three hours. Like that's not yeah. what they're for. Yeah. Um, these live yeah. with you. The idea is that you can pull the battery out, quickly charge them. Uh, you know, you pull up to a convenience store. Sometimes there's outlets out there, which we found uh, a lot of them around <laughs> Cleveland and yeah. you just plug it in, you know, 20 minutes, half hour, um, charge it up. Uh, you take it into work with you. And then the real opportunity when we talk about the distributed power is everything these packs do outside of the bike. Um, and, and that's what's really exciting to us. And what it comes down to is um, what we call this kind of energy continuity theory. And we're walking examples of this theory that we, we need energy all the time. Yeah. There's, there's not a, 
an hour in our day, uh, our average work day that we're not using energy of some sort. Um, so it's always this push pull. And then um, when you're out, it's always this, Oh, you know, I got to get back to the office and plug in and making these batteries an extension of um, energy grid was, was important to us. And, and we're just at the, let's say the, the tip of the, the iceberg of what we want to do. Um, but I think it's important to understand that there, there's just so much more you can do with the power. And then we had a real aha moment uh, once we charge the batteries for the first time from solar. Uh, mm. So there's a, a new kind of class of solar panel out that has the, um, they have the micro lenses, so you no longer need to tip them. So, um, you know, it's like a 180 dome and no matter where the solar panel is, uh, it's got lenses that are directing the light, uh, to the, the actual, um, uptake. Uh, panel. So it's more efficient. Oh. You'll have to like point it at the sun super, every time. <laughs> they're, they're, they're super efficient. They're becoming gotcha. very efficient and, and low level. Wow. And by keeping these packs to 1.8 kilowatt hours, um, we're able to charge them pretty quick. Yeah. Um, that's really and, and that's, that was important to us. So the, the tech is, um, I'll go through the tech a little bit. I hope it doesn't go over everyone's head. It's, it's pretty simple. Uh, so we have DC power, we have DC to DC native charging, um, USB C, USB A. Uh, we do have an inverter where you can charge, um, your computers and other devices. Um, the drive tech is pretty simple. It's three phase AC. So we're taking DC, it goes through a three phase AC inverter, and then that goes to a three phase motor. Most motorcycles are using what's called an axial flux motor. We're using a radial flux motor because we can achieve something called flux weakening. And all flux weakening means, well, let's talk about um, electric bikes. So electric bikes are typically one speed right now. Yeah. Um, and we've been, I'm, I'm going to use a term that I always tell my students don't use. Um, we've been playing around with, and I, <laughs> I, I say playing around with gearboxes because um, we haven't achieved anything that's serious enough for us to consider putting a gearbox on a bike yet. Mm. Um, we're doing gear reductions, right? We have a 10 to one and an eight to one reduction, um, which is, which is needed. And our motor spins about uh, most efficient at 4,000 to 4,200 RPM. And we're, uh, we're, we're gear reducing that to the, the back wheel. Um, so basically motors are most efficient. You, you can tune a motor to be most efficient at a specific speed. Yeah. And we tried to tune that sweet spot at around 40 miles per hour, uh, 40 to 47 to be most efficient. Okay. So yeah, so it's basically, you know, DC batteries, AC inverter, uh, three phase AC, uh, motor. We're using IPM. It's sealed. It's IP 65. It's completely waterproof. Um, we haven't tried, we've run it underwater. We just haven't tried running it super deep underwater. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's not sealed. A submarine, so. Um, yeah. So <laughs> all of our components are IP 65, you know, they're, um, that's the other funny thing is a lot of people are like, can you ride it in the rain? It's like, well, yes, you, <laughs> you yeah, can ride yeah. it in the rain. <laughs> um, so the, the tech is nothing uh, super amazing. And if there's anything I learned through 12 years of manufacturing is that it has to work every time. Yeah. Um, it just has to work. Mm -hmm. So we kept the tech pretty robust and pretty basic at the get-go. Um, and the other thing is that people who ride motorcycles beat the living shit out of them. Yeah. Motorcycles are abused. <laughs> uh -huh. um, 
and you have to go into it knowing that they're abused. So, uh, you know, perfect example is like we started doing gas motors. We were using push rod motors because push rod motors, you could sell them in Indonesia um, with, with horrible gas. Um, mm. You never had to adjust them, right? The heat didn't affect them too much. Um, but once we started pushing technology higher and higher tech, you know, uh, four valve, a dual overhead cam, really good gas was needed, uh, really good techs were needed, right? High tech and, and, and high performance costs something, right? Maybe not initially, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, 12 months, 18 months down the road, it costs something. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the tech, the idea is keep it simple. Yeah. Um, a lot of our focus is on what we call our VCU, our vehicle communication unit. Um, so we have what's called CAN bus built into the system. CAN bus is basically a s- signaling system where before you used to have, let's say, 24 wires and you've reduced that to two. You have a CAN high and a CAN low. Okay. Um, and out of our controller, we're able to feed a ton of information out of our controller. So uh, we could f- feed uh, highest RPM the motor's ever had. We can feed um, how many rotations that motor's gone. Uh, we can feed how many rotations that motor's gone over current. How many we could tell if someone's hot rotted it, right? If they've put a hundred a uh, hundred volt battery in it. Uh, hmm. Well, that's the other thing. So we're doing a seventy two volt. Um, so we started low voltage. We started at forty eight volt, and we okay. thought we'd be able to achieve what we wanted at a lower volt. Um, and the 48 volt really came from this European Union Consumer Safety Board. Anything over 60 volt is considered uh, hazardous. And it is hazardous. I mean, if you grounded the negative and positive, if you grounded your fingers out on the, on the terminals, you would hurt yourself. You'd probably yeah. blow your finger off. Uh, 48 volts is not so dangerous. And 72 volts is even more dangerous. Mm. Um, so we've had to put in a lot of um, protective barriers so you basically can't hurt yourself. Yeah. Um, but the 72 volts, what that does is it gets you thinner wires. You know, uh, voltage is, is pretty simple. Lower voltage, you need a lot more copper. Higher voltage, you can use a lot less copper, um, which, again, makes the product less expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it lighter, and you have less, you know, less precious uh, material in it. So um, this whole process behind land has been one of discovery. Uh, we went out, and we actually initially tapped a lot of the really large OEMs and a lot of the large suppliers to help us build our system. And what we found out over a course of a year was that they knew nothing more than we knew. Um, Mm. They were no farther ahead. These massive corporations were really not farther ahead than we were. And in some cases, their inability, their glacial speed is really a hindrance. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've had, like, we were working with a supplier um, to co-develop battery packs uh, that fell through like six months in. So then we had to develop our own battery packs. Um, we were working with a, with a supplier on our VCU uh, that fell through. So we had to do that. We were working with a supplier on our hot swap connector that fell through. So we had to do that ourselves. Um, so that, it's pretty much been that way since the beginning. I um, mean, it was not our intention to, to develop all this technology on our own. Um, but ultimately that was the way it, it went. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like the high tech stuff, um, you know, it really comes down to an inverter, a motor, a battery, and a vehicle communication unit. Mm. Um, and right now, uh, the bikes are not connected, so they're not uh, 4G or 5G enabled, um, but soon they will be. 
Uh, It's just, we need to get a a product out there. Most of the consumers right now want to run, ride a a fun, solid bike. And we have that. Mm -hmm. So we're, Mm -hmm. we're going to get that out and then we'll, we'll keep releasing the tech later. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's really important to note with the technology and talking about sustainability is sustainability to us is not, um, just wrap it in a green wrapper and say it's 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 green because <laughs> the reality of manufacturing electric vehicles, batteries, all the mining that's behind it, the precious materials. Um, while it um, there's studies out that say it is very it's more green than a, a gas car, right? Yeah, um, that's great, but not if you're throwing it away. Not if it's a fashion item, right? Not if it's oh, only lasting sure. a year or two years, which a lot of these small um, you know, these small electric vehicles, they're only lasting 18 months, 24 months. Wow. Um, so the focus was on building the chassis and basically the structure that can last a very, very long time. So we're using, you know, 1020 DOM. We chose to do them here. Um, everything's TIG welded. Um, the bodywork is uh, carbon nylon. It's very strong. And the idea is that that vehicle can last a very, very long time but we know the battery tech is changing and it's continuing to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we started a year and a half ago, we were using 18650s. Literally, we saw within a three-month period, the 21700 we were on become parity, price parity with the, the, wow. um, the 18650. And we said, well, wow. now that it's price parity, we need less components. So we could probably reduce the complete cost of our pack by going with the bigger cell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see this, like there's all these like silicon air, there's all these different technologies coming out. Yeah. Um, we're following them. You know, we, we don't have enough capital to create new battery technologies, but we can be um, right on the forefront of putting them into production once they, they come out. Yeah. Um, so let's say, yeah. uh, you know, Henrik Fisker keeps walking around with this little wafer that he's <laughs> calling his, uh, uh, you know, his, his little graphene battery. Yeah. Um, you know, when graphene batteries become a reality, um, if we can go from one, 1. 1.8 kilowatts to five kilowatt hours in the same space, mm-hmm. 10 kilo, I mean, awesome. Uh, we're yeah, ready yeah. to do that. So um, you can't future proof anything, but making the battery a structural part of the chassis just seems like um, it's just the wrong approach to us. And, and the funny thing is every one of our competitors is going there, right? They're all releasing this um, monolithic thing that's like their motor with a casting and their battery. It's all structure. And they're like, well, look how much we've reduced weight. It's mm-hmm. like, well, our bike, our bike goes 80 miles per hour and it weighs 180 some pounds. Yeah. Like <laughs> how much, and it's made out of steel, right? It's not even aluminum. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like, how much lighter do you need it? Um, yeah. So and what this really comes from is I would say one, uh, you know, we're from the Midwest and um, we're very, limited with the amount of capital we have. So we had to get very, very inventive. So the, the look of the bike uh, was very much about how do we reduce the amount of tooling? We didn't have $4 million, $5 million to throw in tooling, um, which it, you know, if you're doing a bike out of all aluminum and it's cast and it, you're, you're three or 4 million in. Mm-hmm. So we had to use tool lists as much as possible, right? A laser cut, CNC bent. Uh, we had to use as, as little tooling as we could to get this into production as quick as possible. So that aesthetic of um, trying to reduce, well, anyways, we're trying to completely get away from injection molding. 
um, get, getting away from these, uh, I call them inhibitors to change, right? Like once you've made an injection molding, let's say it's 180,000, you're going to want to run 30, 40,000 pieces through that mold. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And the quickness that our industry is the, the, the amount of speed that it's moving, I don't want to be stuck with the same design for five years. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't want to do that. So um, now 3D printing isn't quite there yet. Um, I mean, we can injection mold a part in about five seconds to 3D print that part's like 50 hours. So it's <laughs> yeah. it's not there yet, but we're, we're pushing. Um, and, and, you know, that's the other thing is manufacturing is also tech. And that's where we found a lot of interest in the U.S., is through advanced manufacturing and really pushing uh, manufacturing as far as we possibly can. And we're making some of our um, partners absolutely insane because we keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And they're like, well, this is as far as the technology is right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we have to make the decision to say like, we were really, so probably the first 50 bikes, the bodywork will be 3d printed. Um, And that's just because we really, really want to do that. Um, but once we start scaling, like we, we can't have a 30 hour print on a bike. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's going to slow um, you down. <laughs> yeah. But, um, we're using it for everything it's worth, right? It's, yeah. um, we're getting these super lightweight, um, very fine, very, very strong pieces, um, that we can quickly change. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Evan was making a joke that, Hey, we should, um, just design a, uh, different kit where you can click on the website and you can select the, uh, you know, the dad version with a dual cup holder on top, <laughs> you know, the, um, the, the top shell that has like a, a basket for storing all your, your stuff. And yeah, uh, I, it's it, but, but see, that's the reality of like, we're, we're kind of laughing, but that's where we're at. It's like, yeah, for sure. You know, instead of having to do five different molds, now we can just 3d print them. And yeah. Um, so it's, it's exciting that the tech, the tech aspect of manufacturing is probably what I geek out on the most mm. and trying to push it as far as we can. I mean, our chassis, <clears throat> it sounds crazy, uh, but the, the tubing, so it's, it's kind of old school, right? It's, it's pneumatic bent, so it's CNC bent, but the coping is laser cut. So, I, I mean, it, 10 years ago, if you told me we we're going to be making chassis and cutting them with lasers, I would have been like, no freaking way. <laughs> um, but what you get with the laser cut on the coping is you get a exact fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, these things click together and there's no gaps. It, mm-hmm. it creates a really superior product to, uh, you know, grinding the coping with the old school grinding machine. For sure. Um, and, you know, that's what's interesting about Ohio right now is there's so much money going into um, automation, into robots, into high-tech manufacturing mm-hmm. that there's probably no better place to be in the U.S. than the Midwest right now. Yeah, for sure. So what's this bike like kind of from the user perspective and kind of what market are you looking to hit with this? Cause like you mentioned, it's not, it's not a long range bike. We're going to hop on it, go stop at a fast charger and then keep driving for, or keep riding for 200 more miles. Like, yeah. I mean, who wants to do that anyways? I, yeah. I don't, I have no <laughs> desire, you know, uh, like that movie, the, um, with the electric Harleys, they spent so much time talking because they were using electric in a way that it's not quite there yet. Yeah. Right? Like uh, stopping every hour and a half to charge the bike for three to six hours is like, shoot me in the freaking head. I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> and the thing is like the, te- the technology will get there. Um, but I actually feel like right now 
I think there's going to be, we talked about this. There's going to be this like big rubber band effect. So many people are going to switch to electric and be like, I was freaking lied to. This is not everything that, that I was told it was going to be. And then they're going to flee back to gas. I, it's coming. Uh, if there's one thing I know, it's consumer habits, right? It's, uh, I've been able to read that pretty well for the last 12 years. Um, yeah. And companies that are just outright exaggerating, which everyone is right now, um, at how, how advanced the tech is, um, they're doing a disservice to, to the industry. So um, the, the size, the weight, and the focus of the bike is very much addressing technology for where it's at. Mm. Um, and, uh, also the size of the battery, uh, that 1.8 kilowatt hours will get you about four hours of riding. Yeah. Um, there's very few days we'll go on leisure rides during lunch. You know, it's nice 75, 80 degree day in Cleveland. These bikes are so fun. We will just, we'll keep riding, riding, riding. But ultimately we get to a point where we're like, oh man, we've been riding for like three hours. It's time to go back. <laughs> um, so it's time to work, right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, um, you know, it's the day to day. Um, we don't need a, a 13 or 15 kilowatt hour pack on a motorcycle. Yeah. Um, so, so the focus is what we're calling the e-moto and we keep talking about the e-moto because it's transitional And mm. and where I see the benefit of electric is like, I just saw an old Gorelli, like a two stroke moped trying to go up Murray Hill, um, tr- you know, trying to climb out a little Italy in this, this little is like a 110 just belch and smoke. And the guy was pushing it with his feet to get up the hill. Um, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but I mean, you know, what do you have? You've got a, a old two stroke motor. It's like a, you know, like a rubber band. Um, it's got maybe seven horsepower, uh, mm-hmm. now maybe three, um, where electric, I, I think electric does some things better. So if you look at a bicycle, right, if you're into bicycling for the enjoyment, which I am, and you really don't care about working out, um, I like to be in the air. I like to jump. <laughs> I like to fly down. Like I want to get eight runs down the hill and I want to hit the big hits. Right. I don't care about cranking up the hill. Like to me, that's not what it's about. Like if I can sneak out and get eight runs in and, and I can jump, I'm in heaven. I'll still let those guys pedal up the hill if they want to, but I'm not trying to win any Strava trophies. Right. Like that's not my thing. <laughs> so for me, electric on a bicycle makes it a hundred percent better of an experience. Mm. Um, so to me, that is a, um, something that kind of sucks if you don't want to exercise, if you just want transport or want fun and it makes it fun, you can crank up that hill at 25 easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then if you transition that to a, let's say a slightly bigger, uh, moped, uh, mopeds have always sucked. Um, small displacement, little teeny motors, um, really slow, um, you know, ethanol and the fuel clogs up old carbs. So now electric's better at, at making a bicycle enjoyable. Um, it has taken, um, like I would go out today and, uh, there's little Honda mopeds all over the place. You rip out that old two stroke motor, you throw in a small, like 2000 watt hub motor, a small battery. It, it improves the experience, right? It, it improves it. So now it's, it's better at, at a bicycle, it's better at a moped. And then even uh, 250 to, to 400 cc um, electric is now starting to become better at, uh, at, at doing that than gas. Mm. Um, and a lot of it goes down to like, we've put ethanol in our fuel supply. 
you know, ethanol is hydroscopic. Ethanol absorbs water. Um, so in Cleveland, right, you can't ride a motorcycle for a couple months out of the year. It sits in the garage. You're getting freeze thaw. Well, guess what? Now your whole gas tank has turned into gum. So when, when we say design is highly focused on the usability, we've lived this, right? I have a lot of old motorcycles and I, I can never ride them because they're always gunked up. Mm. Um, so our vehicle is an e-moto. Uh, we can lock it into e-bike mode, uh, 25 miles per hour, and it's a class two e-bike. We can transition it uh, and uh, level two as an e-moped. So most adults can go out uh, with a written test and get an e-moped license. Uh, and the ride mode three and four are unlimited. So ride mode three is a um, slightly reduced amperage, but full speed. Um, so okay. it's like what we call like an eco power mode, right? It's it uh, our algorithm makes you not toast your battery. Um, and then ride mode four, um, and that's the other thing is like we can't do a one to one um, because it's just too much power. So like mm -hmm. ride mode four is still limited um, because unlimited, it's just too much. Um, wow. And that's the one thing uh, when, when we talk to old school motorcycle riders and we say, well, it's 12 kilowatts. I'm um, sorry. It's uh, around like 14 horsepower, right? They kind of laugh. And it's like, no, you don't understand. It's 14 horsepower immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah. you know, it's not coming on at 3000 RPM. It's, mm -hmm. it's right. It's there immediately. And when we look all around at, at what the Emoto does, um, it's giving you, uh, you know, like 450 CC performance, um, but you can now dial it back to e-bicycle performance. There's so many things it can do in that range and it does it well. And there's even times where we just want to tune it down and ride the bike on a bike path. So we'll just throw it in ride mode one and calm it down, slow it down and just enjoy what the bike path has offer. Right. It, it's, yeah. It, it, you can't do that with gas, right? It's either a small moped or it's a, a 450 or a thousand CC. They're different tools, right? So what we've done is we've taken basically always a hammer or always a screwdriver and we've made a tool that is a screwdriver. Sometimes it's a hammer other times, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's different things to different people. And, um, you know, if we talk about where our focus is, it's converting people. Um, it's getting people on these things. And it, we hear it all the time. Uh, I'm afraid to ride. I'm a, I, I, motorcycles scare the shit out of me. Um, you know, motorcycles scare me. They're so scary. And ride mode one will not scare you. Ride mode one is comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. You slowly walk with the bike. Once you get comfortable with the balance, you pull your feet up. Um, the chassis is very nimble. It's very neutral. Um, and it's it's difficult to make a bike that, beginners would be comfortable on but then motorcycle enthusiasts can get on and also say wow this is amazing um, and that was our goal i think we've we're pretty close we've, we've um i think we've done a pretty good job at that um my team is is really you know 50 chassis iterations later we finally have a <laughs> finally have a really solid um platform but um yeah i mean ultimately we're 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 product geeks, right? We're, we're design geeks, usability geeks. We're, we're really, really into just making a good solid product that people are going to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I think the one thing that I will definitely take away with with our experience being with land for and riding the district for a few hours is just all the adaptability and like the hard work that you guys put into it. And being a Clevelander and being proud of being from Cleveland, I think that's something really special. And I, I definitely think I think every rider of all different levels will see that too. I appreciate that. And yeah. was that your first time on a motorcycle? Yes. Uh, well, I, I technically rode on the back of one many, many years ago, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got to tell you, that was my first time riding any bike in probably 12 years. So like I was, I felt kind of awkward just because like <laughs> I, it's been so long since I've ridden anything like that, but it, once I got the hang of it, it was so natural. Yeah. And I mean, the way that Alex came in so hot that one time, <laughs> I think you would agree with that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the thing that impressed yeah. me the most. Cause I, I mean, I, I rode bikes all the time growing up and like, I've been, I've been looking at, uh, moving into something electric, either like a skateboard or a bicycle e-bike or something like that. But I think you guys strike a good balance between all three, like you're saying, cause I hopped on it in ride mode one. And I'm like, all right, this feels like a bicycle. Let's like, let's bump it up a couple notches. So <laughs> I think having that, having that flexibility there is like, a re it's very welcoming for both new riders and, and experienced ones. Well, what's cool is that, um, you can now have a vehicle that could be different things to different members of your family. Oh, um, that's a good point too. Yeah. So, you know, it's not just a personal me bike. Um, yeah. you know, if you want, and this is not going to be there in the initial release, but we're working on an app where a parent can lock the bike down in a certain mode. So if your um, kid wants to get on it and ride it as a bicycle to school, you can lock it down into e-bike mode and they can't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't go 60 on the 60 in the school zone. Getting that, school. That's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> right. Um, hopefully they won't be able to hack the system. Um, so, I mean, so, so basically every car right now, uh, every motorcycle in it's bizarre. So every, every car and every motorcycle is using DC batteries, right? Okay. We're, ch we're charging from an AC grid. So we're yeah. converting AC to DC. Mm-hmm. DC into the batteries and then we're converting DC back to AC to go to a three, uh, a three, um, three phase AC motor. Yeah. And all that conversion, you're losing efficiency. Um, and then it goes even farther because most cars, some have 48 volt systems now, but, um, cars do like, really. Yeah, I mean, most cars still have a 12-volt system. That's why you'll, you'll oh, still see... Oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. I you'll still see a Tesla. Well, you'll still see a Tesla with... Uh, uh, now they went from a lead acid to a, a lithium-ion start yeah. battery. But, they still um, run on the 12-volt for, like, all the accessories and all the all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we're trying to get everything native to 72-volt. Um, we're trying to make our displays 72-volt, um, okay. our turn signals, our lights, because what we do... so. We've got all this conversion going on, right? Yeah. So we're doing, uh, you know, you got AC coming out of the wall, then DC, and then back, and then, then we have another conversion we have to do, uh, which again just burns off efficiency. Is we're taking 72 volts, and we have a step down transformer, and we're tr mm -hmm. we're transitioning that down to 12 volts, and all you're doing is taking high energy, you're turning it into heat, and you're using a quarter of that to make the lights, the LED lights, and everything light up. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and and this is what's interesting about um, coming into this fresh, we're just like, what the hell? Like, why are we doing it this way? Like, this is absolutely absurd. Yeah. Um, it, everything should be native. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, 
it's interesting. This, this is really a, a frontier market. And what's really exciting, though, is right now um, there's so much focus and so much R&D going into this. Yeah. The, the rate of change and the rate of discovery that's going to happen is so freaking quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, every three years, we're going to see massive, massive increases. It's, yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, and I think that's smart what you're doing with the batteries, like you mentioned, too, where you can, if some groundbreaking new battery technology comes out, you can just pop it in your battery pack and you're slide it in and you're good to go <laughs> versus trying to have to retool the entire bike to work with this battery. Well, even as like a business case, um, we can re-revenue existing products with new hardware. And say, hey, you know, here's version three of the, the battery that just came out. So Yeah, well, yeah. in this market is very much... Um, I mean, I would pay for it, right? If a, if a new technology <laughs> came out that's going to increase my range, if it's not a software update, if if we haven't figured out a way to put the software out there to increase the range, if it's a, a hardware update, mm-hmm. I want to be able to swap that in, right? I yeah. want to be able to, and like that's what drives me nuts. Like, um, my wife has a Volvo, which the tech is it's so so, um, but like there's even the old Volvo infotainment system from just like two or three years ago. And the new one, and they're completely incompatible. Like, it should be the same shit. You should be able to do an update and do like a software update. They they don't let you. Yeah. And you go in the new car, and you're like, wow, this is really slick. <laughs> Can you update our car to do this? It's, it's the same screens. So they're like, oh, we we can't. Oh my Firmware gosh. won't support it. We're like, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, that's where Tesla is really. To them, it's just a screen, right? Yeah. It, it, you know these updates are, are groundbreaking for them. So for sure. Um, do you want to, for anybody that's either looking to learn more about the bike or, uh, find you guys on social media, do you want to plug some of that stuff and we'll link it in the show notes as well? Yeah, sure. So, um, if you're looking for us on the web, uh, it's very simple. It's just land.bike, L-A-N-D.bike. Uh, it's pretty easy to, to find. Uh, Instagram is kind of our biggest outlet. Uh, it's just land underscore moto. If you search us, land moto is pretty easy. Uh, if you have any questions right through our website, you can send us texts, chat with us. Uh, we're very open to discussing with people. Uh, if you're in Cleveland, if you want to stop by, please schedule a ride because we are having uh, too many people stop by to actually get work done. Um, but if you want to, <laughs> if you want to stop by and schedule a ride, um, you're more than welcome to test out the vehicles. Um, the land, the district right now, uh, the 01 version, so our first production version is $8,000. Uh, the Founders Edition, which is helping us with our capital raise, is $15,000. Uh, these are both hand-built bikes. Um, the bikes are built in the U.S., built right here in Cleveland. And uh, we hope more people will turn on to the bike and enjoy what we're doing. Cool. Well, thank you to Scott for joining us on today's episode, and we will talk to you in the next one.